Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you to everyone who has uh, subscribed on whatever podcast platform you choose. We really appreciate it. We're seeing a steady increase in subscribers and views, and we really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast and sharing with your friends uh, and other folks in the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Renewables. Uh, I am still in my home office, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, working from home, new baby is here, and we're about a month into that, so that's been really fun, Uh, but we're really excited about our guest this week, uh, Morgan Smith, who is the Program Director and uh, Director of Communications for the North American Sustainable Refrigeration Council. N-A-S-R-C, and Morgan, there's a lot of big words in our show notes today that you're going to help me understand, so um, the the name is kind of a mouthful, but N-A-S-R-C, and we're going to talk about hydrofluorocarbon refrigerants today, which is so cool, and we're going to geek out about super pollutants and all the good work that you all are doing um, to create a more sustainable earth. Morgan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, David. So hopefully I got your title correct. I want to make sure. Uh, Program director and was it? Program and communications director. director. Yeah, we like to have long, long names here, long organization (laughs) names, long titles. Sure, no worries. So just to kick us off, um, I kind of want to tell our, our listeners and viewers about your personal journey and your career and how you ended up. Uh, at the NASRC and your current role? Yeah, so uh, my background is in sustainability. Um, and I actually, prior to this role, I came from a forest conservation background, so totally different area. Um, and I came to work in this field after I learned about the tremendous impact that refrigerants are having on the climate, um, particularly after I learned that the topic was named the number one global climate solution by Project Drawdown in 2017. I was like, okay, I have to learn more about this. Um, And so that's kind of how I went down this rabbit hole of refrigerants. Uh, My approach to sustainability has really always been about finding solutions to align sustainability with the goals of individuals or the goals of businesses, because I, I believe that that's the best way we can get there. And so when I learned about the NASRC's approach, to make these, you know, ultra climate friendly refrigerants a very strong choice from a business perspective, I felt really compelled to get involved. And now I've been here for three years and, you know, our mission is just as important to me as ever. That's great. Well, you know, no matter where you fall um, on the political spectrum or on the spectrum of, of climate change, we can all agree that, you know, we have a lot of work uh, cut out for us. And, and it's a, a huge, um, it's going to take a lot more than any one solution to really make the dent uh, that we think we need to to make. And so I was fascinated to learn about your all's mission. Um, I had not, you know, was totally uh, naive to refrigerants and 
um, some of the issues with the vast majority of refrigerants. And just for our, our viewers and listeners, um, keeping it kind of high level for now anyways, um, think supermarkets, right? Think big coolers, um, big, you know, aisles of um, refrigerated, you know, cases full of food. Um, and so tell us a little bit about kind of the problem and um, and how the NRA, NASRC, excuse me, um, is aiming to solve it. But let's start with hydrochlor hydrofluorocarbon, HFC refrigerants. Tell us about the problem and tell us what a super pollutant is. Yeah, so we can start with something really familiar, the grocery store, right? So when you walk into a grocery store, you see, you know, a lineup of refrigerated cases. So it's got your beer, your ice cream, frozen veggies, all that stuff. Um, and what you don't see is all of the piping that's carrying refrigerant throughout the store to actually cool those cases. Um, in an average grocery store, there's going to be hundreds of miles of piping. So it's a huge system. And wow. most people don't know that really the refrigerants that we commonly use today, hydrofluorocarbon refrigerants or HFC refrigerants, um, are super climate pollutants. And so what I mean by that is they trap a tremendous amount of heat in the atmosphere. So if you compare a pound of HFCs to a pound of carbon dioxide, which is kind of the, the greenhouse gas that we often are talking about, HFCs are going to trap thousands of times more heat in the atmosphere than the same amount of carbon dioxide. Wow. Making this even more complicated, they're also the fastest growing source of greenhouse gas emissions globally. And so all of this to combine um, has led scientists to estimate that HFCs could contribute up to a half a degree of warming by the end of the century. And that's really significant because scientists have also said that the, the kind of catastrophic tipping point is about 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. So a third, basically, uh, of that could come from this one source. Yep. Yeah. And the history of how we got here is, is interesting because this isn't actually the first time we've been in this situation. Um, so, you know, HFCs, the reason we use them and they're so widely used is because they were actually developed as an alternative to chlorofluorocarbon refrigerants or CFCs. Um, and so that was back, uh, back in the day when we learned that CFCs were destroying the ozone layer. Um, we kind of scrambled and said, okay, we need something that doesn't deplete the ozone layer here. And that's how HFCs came to be. Um, at the time, we didn't know that, you know, they were also um, extremely potent greenhouse gases. So essentially what we ended up doing is we traded one environmental disaster for another. Um, but uh, we've kind of, we've been through this before. So um, this isn't the first time we've been here. Yeah, that's super interesting. And so let's dive a little further into the supermarkets from my limited knowledge about um, about this, learning about your organization, I think we connected uh, sometime last year. Last year was kind of a blur. Uh, let's let's be honest. But and, and I was able to learn more about what you all do. And correct me if I misstate anything, but it's fairly expensive to retrofit or convert these systems. Um, and so you know, creating sort of the right incentive structure for people to do that. Of course, you know, I think you and I believe um, the climate 
is a, is a good incentive to do that. But at the end of the day, you know, these are businesses and they have to make money in order to stay in business. So talk a little bit about um, kind of dig more into supermarkets, because I, I think you mentioned that's sort of the, the most impactful place uh, that you can make change right now anyways. And so so dig into that a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. So grocery stores are sort of a low-hanging fruit here when we're talking about getting rid of HFCs. Um, that doesn't mean that it's easy. But what I mean by that is um, basically all supermarket refrigeration systems leak. So this is going back to what I said about having hundreds of miles of piping in every store. That's a lot of room for leaks. Um, and so the average supermarket leaks about 25% of their refrigerant on an annual basis. Wow. And to put things in perspective, the average supermarket also has somewhere between around three to three to 5,000 pounds of refrigerant. Um, and so if you look at all of the roughly 38,000 supermarkets across the United States, um, just refrigerant leaks, the emissions from those leaks are roughly equal to around 150 billion pounds of CO2 equivalent emissions. So to put that in perspective, that's about uh, the emissions from burning 76 billion pounds of coal. So it's a huge, huge topic wow. that we're talking about here. Um, and the, the, there is a solution. Um, there are a couple of solutions here, but a lot of folks would first point to, well, can't we just stop the leaks, right? So these refrigerants wouldn't be an issue if they weren't getting into the atmosphere. But I can tell you that no supermarket wants to be leaking because leaking is expensive. Uh, there's a lot of paperwork involved, uh, a lot of maintenance and regulatory compliance. Uh, so no supermarket wants to be leaking. And you know, there's um, some supermarkets that have shown a lot of leadership in this area. There's a program called the Green Chill Program um, that's all about reducing leak rates. Uh, but at the end of the day, we need to look to refrigerants that aren't going to be as harmful once they are released into the atmosphere, recognizing that we're probably not going to ever stop supermarkets from leaking entirely. So that being said, our, our organization focuses specifically on a class of refrigerants called natural refrigerants. Um, so these are uh, kind of the original refrigerants. They're defined as naturally occurring and they can't be patented. Um, the three that we focus on are ammonia, propane, and CO2. Um, and they have zero or near zero global warming potential, which is just a measure of how much heat they trap in the atmosphere. Uh, and just for everybody's reference here, it can be confusing to hear that CO2 is one of the things we would consider like a climate friendly refrigerant, right? So we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions here, but um, the problem with CO2 as a greenhouse gas is the um, incredible Quant amount that's uh, emitted every year. So the quantity of CO2 emissions is really the issue. Um, but when we look at the actual warming potential, HFCs just blow CO2 out of the park. Um, and so the amount of CO2 that would be leaked from a supermarket refrigeration system is extremely negligible, especially when you compare to what we've got going on right now. Um, now, these are a great solution. The problem is that uh, they're still kind of considered, even though these refrigerants have a long history of use, 
a new technology to some extent. And so there's a lot of those classic uh, market barriers that you have with any sort of emerging technology. So like you mentioned, high upfront costs is probably the biggest thing here. And this is especially true in existing facilities, which is um, obviously where the majority of the emissions reduction potential is because that's where we have this existing stock of HFC refrigerants. And the problem with natural refrigerants is that they can't be dropped in. Um, so we would say they're not a drop-in solution, which means it requires a full system replacement, uh, which is extremely costly mm -hmm. and logistically challenging for grocers. Sure. Yeah, you almost have to be, you know, looking at, um, I actually, you know, have some friends in the grocery business and they have a pretty consistent, you know, kind of three to five year capital plan of when they're going to remodel their stores. So is that tip when you typically see uh, stores adopt this type of technology is sort of like a new location or a, a total store remodel? And my follow on question is that, and forgive me, I don't think you mentioned, but you said 38,000 grocery stores in the U.S., which is um, more than I would have thought, but but we got to eat, right? And so what what percentage roughly of those stores have actually adopted this these natural refrigerants and and where do you see, you know, that happening? Is it on the new builds and the retrofits or is anybody aggressively actually going in and and doing this? Yeah, so less than 2% of those stores have actually installed an HFC-free natural refrigerant system. So we're talking wow. a very, very small amount. Um, and for your question about are those mostly new builds, mostly uh, retrofits or remodels, it's really um, primarily new builds because though there are still challenges associated with natural refrigerants in a new store build, um, they're much less extreme than they are when you're looking at an existing facility because you don't have to rip out a whole system that you typically wouldn't be ripping out. Um, sure. Where there is an opportunity in existing stores, you mentioned kind of the remodel cycle that your, uh, your friends in the grocery industry um, were sharing. That is kind of what one of the things our organization is, is looking at right now is, is there an opportunity for uh, what we would call like modular solutions for natural refrigerant sure. technologies that could be uh, installed in an existing facility during the usual equipment replacement schedule. So, you know, maybe they're going to replace a, a lineup of cases um, and maybe there's an opportunity to uh, replace those cases with some self-contained natural refrigerant cases, for instance. So our organization is all about trying to make natural refrigerants a feasible business choice for supermarkets um, so that at the end of the day, if they want to use natural refrigerants, they don't have to worry about things like upfront costs. Other barriers that are um, unique to natural refrigerants are um, there's a, a challenges around technician training. So the service workforce is shrinking. It's that workforce is aging out. Um, and mm -hmm. then, so they're already kind of stretched thin. And then you have these new technologies um, that use refrigerants with very unique properties. And so um, there's this challenge around making sure that all of them are trained up and qualified to actually install and maintain these, this equipment and these systems. Um, so that's one of the areas we work 
Uh, and then another area is um, generally around data and kind of technology advancement. So understanding how these different types of equipment perform, um, what are the ongoing costs for things like energy and maintenance, um, and then also where are there gaps in technology availability. So again, going back to kind of these modular solutions where you could slowly transition an existing store over time, and how do we help accelerate bringing those solutions to the market so that supermarkets have options right now so that they can actually utilize them in their usual equipment replacement schedule, which is gonna be a lot more cost-effective. Sure, so I'm interested to dig a little more into what you all actually do to sort of make that happen. And my first question is, are there are there subsidies available out there, state level, federal level, and do you help uh, procure those subsidies or do you provide subsidies for these types of projects? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a small amount of um, funding programs available in the U.S. right now, um, but that's one of our, our biggest areas of focus right now is developing and coordinating incentives. Um, and it's an area where we've made um, quite a bit of progress in the last year. So uh, last year, we actually did coordinate our own incentive program, where we kind of piloted this concept of helping supermarkets um, take advantage of, uh, in particular, a state level incentive program that was going on in California at the time, and looking for opportunities to bring in other sources of funding support so that you could kind of um, create a compelling package of funding that's enough to uh, offset some of those upfront cost premiums when you're comparing it to a, an HFC-based refrigeration system. Um, and so we were actually able to coordinate 13 natural refrigerant projects and um, almost uh, 0.9 million roughly dollars of incentive um, to help get some natural refrigerant projects off the ground. So it was kind of a proof of concept. Um, looking ahead though, that was just in the state of California and we're really looking sure. to see how can we scale funding support at a national level because that's where we see this opportunity to really accelerate the adoption of natural refrigerants. And you see some of these other barriers fall away when that happens. And so right now we're looking at, um, at the utility level, uh, incorporating basically refrigerant emissions into utility goals so that they could um, expand their, their programs to not only incentivize for energy efficiency, but also for those greenhouse gas emission savings. And this is happening um, at a legislative level already in California. Um, there's also a mandate that uh, the utilities need to look at this in Washington. So we're starting to see this already kind of emerge. Um, at a state level, we are looking still at opportunities for funding from the state. Um, so California, again, was an example here. Delaware also has a state level incentive program. Um, but then the big thing here is that at a federal level. So we're looking at things like tax credits for natural refrigerant technologies, um, as well as things like carbon offset credits. So um, being able to generate revenue for the sale of carbon offset credits, specifically for using natural refrigerant technologies. So um, it's emerging, but they're not necessarily widely available at this point. Sure. Well, it's fascinating because there's so many of these credit markets, uh, kind of state level, some federal level emerging and considering um, just how much global warming potential and frankly, how bad for the environment 
um, these refrigerants are, I can imagine a day where those credits are extremely valuable because of the impact, you know, that, that you're having, um, the impact that you're making by adopting these natural refrigerants. So it's really fascinating and congratulations on the nearly million dollars deployed across 13 projects. That's, that sounds like a, a really great, you know, first step. And I'm curious, just trying to understand the cost, um, you know, for retail grocers out there. So if you did, you know, around 900,000 to a million dollars across 13 projects, and don't mean to put you on the spot, this was not in our, our show notes, but roughly how much, you know, um, were you able to cover from a capital standpoint of those 13 projects? Did you pay for 50% or 30% or I'm just curious. It's a very small portion. So okay. um, the way that the uh, the California incentive program worked, which really was the bulk of the incentives we were able to coordinate for this mm -hmm. program, uh, they gave up to $50,000 for a new store build um, and a cost premium for a natural refrigerant system in a new store. It really ranges depending on the system, but we've seen anywhere from like 50 to $100,000 cost premium. Um, mm -hmm. So for, for those instances, the cost premium is to some extent covered. Um, you're almost looking uh, closer to the, the cost of an HFC system. Not quite there, but uh, for existing stores, they offered up to $150,000 um, in incentive money per store. And uh, for an existing store remodel, again, this is gonna vary significantly, but uh, a lot of the numbers I've seen are anywhere from like a million to 2.5 million to do a, a system replacement in a grocery store that is already sure. there. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's, it sounds very labor intensive. I've been a part of some energy services projects where we've had to go in and tear out uh, existing plumbing and schools and you rip up the hallways. And so just a, a kind of applying that to a grocery store and imagining um, you know, what it takes to, to retrofit, if you will, that system, I'm sure it's quite labor intensive. And so it'd be really interesting to track, um, you know, both your organization and others who are out there working on this kind of from a legislative standpoint and really from a business um, case standpoint. I'm curious, um, you mentioned a lack of service jobs, which I think is really interesting. And I just wanted to spend a, a minute on because I think we're sort of feeling that in a lot of different industries. I know they're feeling it in the real estate industry. Um, I even think in the grocery business, you know, not in the grocery business, but but I think it's safe to say that uh, that's an industry he's feeling. So talk to me about how your organization sort of helps promote these, these service jobs, uh, because my understanding is they can be, you know, really well paid. And if you can if you can find a niche, and this sounds like a, a pretty neat niche, uh, you can bring a lot of value. So talk to me about how the uh, NASRC helps from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're looking at this from a couple of different angles because there's a number of different factors that play into this challenge that we call service readiness, which is really making sure that the service workforce is ready for these technologies. Um, and so we've seen in other countries where there has been a spike in natural refrigerant technology adoption. So places like Europe and Asia, um, these technologies are starting to become a little bit more of the norm. And we've seen that service is sort of this lagging 
challenge in many cases where it almost can be a bottleneck because if you're not prepared in advance for the demand, then you have to catch up and make sure that the training resources and opportunities are there for the technicians uh, once their customers are ready to actually start using these technologies. Um, and so basically, if you don't have the demand for those technologies right now, what happens is these service technicians, they're very stretched, they're stretched very thin right now. And uh, they're not, it doesn't really make sense to invest in getting trained on a natural refrigerant technology if your customers aren't using them for two reasons. One, you just have limited bandwidth that you have to work with. But two, it doesn't make sense to get trained on a technology if you then can't apply that training within a time frame where you'll actually sure. be able to remember it. So then without contractors demanding the, the training resources, there's some gaps in even just the resource availability. So basically what we're trying to do is leapfrog that issue and prevent service readiness from becoming a bottleneck once the demand for natural refrigerant technologies does start to increase. And so the main thing we're doing right now is trying to identify and fill training gaps. So an example is um, right now, natural refrigerants are not even included in the curriculum for HVACNR trade school and community college programs. Hmm. Um, there's a couple that have kind of developed their own programs, but on a national scale, there's nothing that's, that's available to, for them to just purchase and use in their classrooms. Um, and so we're working with an organization called ECHO Group, and they're um, a national provider of curriculum for these programs, um, plus a number of our members who are experts in um, CO2 in particular for this one, uh, to develop a curriculum that can then be introduced into trade schools and community colleges so that basically at the end of the day, students have been exposed to these refrigerants the same way they're exposed to HFC refrigerants in school. And so when they enter the field, they're that much more prepared to go through a more in-depth training in CO2 for other natural refrigerants. Um, we also have worked with other organizations to help fill gaps for folks once they're in the field. So sort of looking at the life cycle of a technician and figuring out where there's gaps so that we can fill them in advance. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I mean, it's really your story and the, the NASRC, everything you're doing is so interesting to me because you're really building the market, right? And so you're focused on how do we make sure we have trained, you know, people who can respond to the demand? How do we create the demand? So I think um, all the different aspects from which you're you're attacking this problem uh, frankly, is, is just really impressive. And so kudos to your organization for for all the good work you've done and, and the work you're continuing to do. I wanted to uh, just really quickly, we've kind of, we've picked on supermarkets a lot. Um, what else, who else are some other culprits? I'm envisioning, you know, big cold storage facilities. Um, but besides our friends uh, that are operating supermarkets, which are of course really important, um, because we all need good access to fresh, healthy food. Who else are kind of the, the culprits that maybe I'm not thinking about? Yeah, well, actually, um, before we even jump into that, I should mention that all of the work we're doing is in partnership with the supermarket industry. So we have um, sure. an, a membership network of 
uh, over 130 industry stakeholders that represent over 38,000 food retail locations in the US, but also represent the equipment manufacturers, the service contractors, engineering firms, um, and they're all working together to make a positive change to help accelerate our mission, which is sure. really to help advance these technologies and, and make them a good option for them. So um, there, though we nece haven't necessarily been moving as fast as, uh, of course, you'd love to see from a climate perspective, the industry is really moving in the right direction. So you're right. Uh, I, I don't want to come across um, as picking on supermarkets because really the bulk of the industry is involved in all of this positive change that we're working on and we're a really small staff so uh, we couldn't do it without their support it's all kind of about yeah. working in partnership absolutely um to answer your question about other other sectors that should be um thinking about this you know one of the reasons we say that the supermarket sector is sort of a low-hanging fruit here is because um if you look to other sectors there's a, just a totally different situation. So um, for instance, industrial refrigeration, uh, ammonia is already very heavily adopted and CO2 is starting to rise um, in prevalency there. Uh, and the reason that ammonia has been able to scale in the industrial refrigeration sector much faster is because ammonia is an excellent refrigerant. So it's uh, zero, ozone depleting substance or uh, ozone depleting potential, excuse me, zero global warming potential. And it has excellent thermodynamic properties, which make it a really wonderful refrigerant. Um, the reason that it hasn't been widely adopted in supermarkets is because it's toxic. And so for a while, there was a lot of, um, uh, there was a perception of, of being a little bit nervous to have your customers walking around with a toxic refrigerant flowing through your store. Uh, those technologies have advanced and there are now ammonia supermarkets and the way it works is the ammonia is up on the roof so it's not even in the store. Um, plus we've got these safety standards now that make them um, very, very safe to use. Uh, so that's no longer a concern. However, um, the industrial sector doesn't have to worry about customers walking through their floor. And so ammonia has sure. already been widely adopted there. Um, on the flip side, if we look at air conditioning, uh, that is a, a quite a big area for emissions. However, the technology is not there yet. Um, and so that area is, is much more of a challenge in terms of having viable technologies that can use these natural refrigerants. And so supermarkets sort of fall in the sweet spot of they have these market barriers. Right now, it's a huge challenge for supermarkets to move in this direction without some support to actually address these challenges. But the technology exists. There's viable technology already available. It's already widely adapted in other parts of the world. We just have to get the U.S. caught up. Sure. And so as we kind of start to wrap up, I'm just curious, you know, there's a new administration in Washington, D.C., I watch the stock channel all day. All they talk about is ESG investing and sustainability. And there's no doubt we're sort of in the middle of this wave. So um, is there current or pending legislation from a federal standpoint that's going to, you know, sort of press the issue here? Um, I, I'm sure you all have your finger on the pulse of that. So what do you think that looks like now and kind of, you know, over the next several years? 
Yeah, so um, there is uh, just recently, but for a long time in the U.S., there was kind of just an absence of any sort of um, federal regulation to address HFCs. Um, there is an international agreement as well. It's part of the, uh, the Montreal Protocol, which was the global agreement that based down CFCs, those ozone-depleting substances. Um, so the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol is an international agreement um, with a, a, a timeline for the mandated phase down of um, the production and consumption of HFCs on a global mm. level. Um, historically, the U.S. has not ratified the Kigali Amendment. We still have not, although um, President Biden did issue an executive order to um, direct the Senate to start preparing um, for the ratification of the Kigali Amendment. So I expect we will see that. But more importantly, um, with the COVID relief bill that was signed into law last December, uh, there was actually a federal HFC phase-down law called the American Innovation and Manufacturing Act that was signed into law as part of that. And what's important here is that the phase-down mirrors the schedule of the Kigali Amendment. So for all intents and purposes, mm. that amendment is now adopted here in the U.S. Um, and what that does is it's an 85% phase-down over the next 15 years. Um, oh. So it is, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, um, and it's certainly, it's it's part of the reason that there's an opportunity right now to make sure that um, as this transition starts to pick up, it's, it's feasible for supermarkets to actually use these really climate-friendly refrigerants. Um, but the other thing is that this uh, policy isn't necessarily going to get us there fast enough. Um, and so yeah. while it's a great step, um, we, we're not confident that uh, without having kind of like a stakeholder driven effort um, to help uh, address these challenges and kind of have a grassroots approach. Um, we're not confident that we'd get there fast enough. So it, it, it takes both, I guess, is what I'm saying. Sure. Well, I, that's where uh, the the NASRC comes in. And uh, again, kudos to you and your a small but mighty team. You all have a lot of, of really interesting um, irons in the fire, if you will. And it sounds like it sounds like you're really on the right track. Um, Morgan, please tell our listeners and viewers, how can they find you online? How can they find more information about the NASRC? Uh, there might be some folks in the grocery business who are interested in membership even. So I hope uh, this this you know connects some dots for for some of our listeners and viewers, but please make sure um, you let them know what's the best way to find you all online and find out more information. Yeah, so our website is uh, don't worry, we don't spell out our full name. It's our acronym, so it's uh, <laughs> www.nasrc.org, um, and you can find all of our information on there, our contact information as well. Uh, you can also reach out to us at info at nasrc.org. Um, so if you've got questions about how you can get involved, um, how you can make a difference in this in your, your personal life, um, or if you just want to support our work, uh, I will put a pl plug in. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so um, we are a small team working with uh, limited resources. And so when folks want to support, it's always very appreciated. Absolutely. Well, 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you'll come back at a later date and, and give us an update on how things are going. Um, congratulations on all the good work you've done thus far. It sounds like from a legislative standpoint, the winds are kind of uh, behind you. So I hope you'll come back on the show and um, keep us updated. And thanks again to Morgan Smith, the Program and Communications Director for the North American Sustainable Refrigeration Council. Thanks so much, really enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much, David. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. All right, take care. You too.